evening. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 8 says this. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house of lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. But one of the scariest things that I ever did was ask my wife out. Uh, I was so scared to do that that I almost didn't do it. Um, my wife worked for the lawyer's office when we were first starting the church, and she was helping us get our 501c3 information uh, put together. And so she agreed to meet me after hours right in front of a coffee shop to sign this paperwork. That's a little bit of a single. But I get there, and I planned on asking her out, but I just stood there, and I just said, okay, thank you. And then I left, and I was all mad at myself that I didn't do it, but the good thing about it was I had her personal cell phone, because she had texted me that she was there. And so that night, I started, I texted her, and, you know, we made some small talk, and then I asked her out. And the moment I asked her out, I felt incredibly vulnerable. I got incredibly nervous. Because I was putting myself out there and saying, kind of interested in you, like to get to know you a little bit better, and put the ball in her court. She could say, no, I'm not interested, don't want to get to know you, don't want to go out with you. And so I was incredibly nervous. And the thing was, when I texted her, she had her red receipts on, so I could see she read the message right away, but she didn't respond for 40 minutes. And I was working out with my brother, uh, it was in my parents' basement at the time, and we were working out, and I remember after like 10 minutes, I'm saying, doesn't look good, doesn't look good, and he's like, just, just give it some time, give it some time, she'll respond, and then after a half hour, I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, and he's like, yeah, it doesn't look good after this amount of time, and I'm thinking she's just trying to figure out a nice way to say no, but she said yes said she would be happy to do it, to go out with me. And I uh, think about that, and I think about why was I so nervous about that? I mean, why did I feel so vulnerable and so fearful about that? I mean, there was no risk really involved. I mean, if she said no, I probably just wouldn't see her again. I didn't really know her that well anyways. And it, apart from that, I kind of knew that she was interested in me anyways because my uh, parents were friends with her boss, and so they started talking. So I kind of knew that she was going to say yes anyways, but as soon as I put that request out there and asked her out, I felt incredibly vulnerable and nervous. And the reason I think that was because when I did that, when I asked her out, I kind of gave her the opportunity to harm me. I gave her the opportunity to do something that would harm my self-esteem. And because of that, I felt vulnerable. Nobody likes to feel vulnerable. Nobody likes to feel fear. And I think that in our culture, we try to avoid vulnerability at all costs. And I think that's part of the reason why social media is so popular today. Because when you go on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you can kind of broadcast the version of yourself that you want other people to see. 
When you go online, they don't have to see the broken parts of your life. They can just see the beautiful things that you want to display about yourself. We can choose to hide our problems and still feel connected in some way to other people. And we don't even have to deal with kind of the normal uh, rejection of everyday life. We don't have to worry about calling someone and having them be busy when we call them. We don't have to worry about somebody not showing up for uh, a lunch date. And so we can go on whenever we want to, and we can talk to other people whenever we want to, and people can like our content, and we can like their contact. And if they don't like our content, we just assume they must be busy. And if people don't like what we have to say, they can just hide what we have to say or unfriend us, and we probably don't even know that they're rejecting us. And so we can go online and portray this version of ourselves where we hide behind the Internet and we can shield ourselves from vulnerability. Researcher Brene Brown has done extensive research on the idea of vulnerability, and she states the truth that we long for connection with other people, but we fear that we're not worthy of that connection. And she says that we do a number of things to numb that vulnerability and that fear. She cites the fact that we're the most in that obese, addicted, and medicated group of adults in U.S. history. The most in that obese, addicted, medicated group of adults in the U.S. history. And of course, while there's other reasons that contribute to these things, part of that re the reason is that we're trying to cover up our feeling of vulnerability or shame. I mean, imagine that you get rejected in a big way. You lose your job, you get divorced, you no longer are talking to your best friend. How do you handle that? I mean, even if you're a Christian, you might start to turn to these things. Maybe going on a shopping spree, maybe going out to the bar and having a few drinks or eating a whole bu bucket of chicken wings. And so we tend to turn to these things to try to numb any sense of fear or vulnerability that we have so that we don't feel this pain. Daniel Jones, the editor of the New York Times Modern Love column, has had access to love lives of thousands of strangers. From his perspective, he's noticed two trends. A few years ago, many young people wanted to hook up without getting involved in a relationship. But now he's noticing that people want intimacy without sex or without even meeting in person. The entire relationship is based on a virtual connection through instant messages, email, Skype, and FaceTime. He calls these relationships soulmate in a box, or SMIBE for short. Jones says that we're afraid of one thing, vulnerability. He writes this, that's the worst of the whole love game, putting yourself out there to be judged and rejected. So, we get the chance, so when we get the chance to hide through social media, we can edit and control. We're freed from much of that anxiety, and we're fooled into thinking this may be a better and truer way to, of having a relationship. And so we fear vulnerability. I think that's one reason that sometimes people are afraid to come to church. Because when you come to church, sometimes people have this feeling that your wrongdoing is going to be exposed or somehow you're going to be made to feel uncomfortable. And that's kind of an attraction of megachurches today, and that's not saying anything bad about a megachurch, but there's this idea that you can go there and be anonymous. You don't have to be vulnerable. You can slip in the back. You don't have to say hello to anyone if you don't want to. You probably won't see anybody again, and if you don't like what you're hearing or if you start to feel uncomfortable, you can slip out. Probably nobody else will notice. It's why many people don't want to get involved in community, like community groups or things like that, because there's this fear that 
if other people know who I really am, then they're going to reject me. And so we fear being vulnerable. We fear, fear being real. We feel, fear uh, allowing people to get too close to us because we fear that rejection. But here's the thing. According to Brown, we cannot selectively numb our emotions. That is, we can numb our feelings of fear and vulnerability through these things like addictions or uh, overeating or, or any number of things. We can numb those things, but when we numb those emotions, we also numb good emotions like joy, gladness. And some of us have been so hurt in the past that we maybe have gotten to a point where we feel like, I'd rather fear, feel nothing at all than to be hurt again. But the problem is we can't connect with other people without being vulnerable, without allowing them to have some power in our lives. See, for a relationship to happen, at least one person has to step out and be vulnerable. If I hadn't been vulnerable enough to ask Stephanie out, that relationship probably never would have happened. You see this dynamic play out in small groups sometimes where you'll have this group of people that get together and nobody wants to say anything. And then one person is bold enough to share their struggles and tell their story. And then when that one person shares their story, then all of a sudden everybody else opens up and shares what's going on in their lives. This can happen even with friendships. Maybe you see a person every week on Sunday morning, and then one day you take the step of saying, hey, you want to go out for lunch after church? You know, and maybe you do that, and then you have a relationship, a friendship that blossoms because of that, but it all happened because one person decided to be vulnerable. And we see 2,000 years ago that God took the first step in being vulnerable. If I've learned anything over the last month or so of having a newborn baby myself, it's that babies are very vulnerable. They have absolutely no defenses. They can't do anything. They can't eat by themselves. They can't change themselves. They can't walk. They can't even hold their heads up. And the reason they cry so much is because that's all they have. All they can do is cry. And you think about a little baby, and then you think about the fact that the God of the universe... The God who spoke and the worlds were created, that God became completely vulnerable. He became a little baby who was dependent upon his mother and father to care for him. He became a human being who was subject to the forces of this world, who could be harmed, could be hurt. And what's even more remarkable about that is that God knew what the end of that was going to be. God knew how that was going to turn out. Imagine when I asked my wife out, imagine that I knew that she was going to say no. Not only did I know that she was going to say no, but I imagine that I knew that she was going to say no and that she was going to make fun of me for even asking. There's no way that I would be vulnerable enough to ask if I knew that was the case. But that's exactly what God did. God came to the earth as a little baby child vulnerable, and he knew where that was going to end, where it was going to end in the cross, and yet still he ended up coming to earth. Matthew 27, 28 to 44 describes how humanity dealt with God's vulnerability. It says, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and put a reed in his right hand. 
And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. When he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross and will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I'm the Son of God, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So how did, God, how did mankind respond to, to God's vulnerability? They put a crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him. They spit at him. They said, come down from the cross if you're the king of the Jews. If you are who you say you are. That's how they dealt with the vulnerability of God. And Jesus knew that all of that was going to happen, and yet he still chose to come to the earth. See, when we know that we're going to get hurt, or even when we fear that we're going to get hurt, what we often do is we put walls up to avoid that hurt. And we think to ourselves, it's better to avoid this relationship than to be hurt anymore. But God did the exact opposite. God said, I'd rather die than lose this relationship. I'd rather die than not have a relationship with you. As a baby, he chose to be vulnerable. As an adult, he chose to be brutalized for all of us so that we could have a relationship with God because relationships require vulnerability. If we're left to our own devices, we would never have found our way to God, but God took that first step. And he came to the earth to die on the cross for our sins. Starting as a baby, ending in the cross. But we also have to say yes. His yes is on the table. He wants a relationship with us, but we need to say yes. Some of us here, maybe we've never entered into a relationship with God. And maybe the reason that we have never entered into a relationship with God is because we fear being vulnerable before God. We fear that if we come to God, he'll somehow judge us because of who we are. We think if God really know, knew who I was and all the things that I've done wrong, he would reject me. Or maybe we fear that if we come to God, maybe we're somehow checking our brains at the door. We're just jumping into blind faith. Maybe we fear coming to God because we fear what God will tell us to do, what God will tell us to give up. But the good news is if that's you, you don't have anything to be afraid of. You don't have anything to be afraid of because God loves you more than anybody else in the universe. He loves you more than anybody else could. And he already knows who you are. He already knows where you fall short, and yet still he chooses to love you. And still he chose to die on the cross for you. Some of us here, maybe we've gone to church regularly, maybe even for years. But over time, our relationship with God has turned from being a living relationship to a safe relationship. 
Maybe years ago, we used to spend time pouring our hearts out to God in prayer. We used to tell Him our struggles and our doubts and our fears. And yet, over time, we've become less religious and more, uh, more religious and less vulnerable. And maybe we hide behind the trappings of religions. Maybe it's because we know God's telling us to do something and we don't want to do it, and so we try to avoid God. Maybe we do all the right things. We come to church, we do our duty, we give, we believe the right things, and yet our hearts are far from God. We don't have a vital relationship with God like we once did. But God doesn't want it to be that way. He wants our hearts. He wants a relationship with us. He paid the ultimate price so that He might have a relationship with us. He doesn't want us to either spend forever separated from Him in hell, or He doesn't want us as Christians to live a life of mediocrity, of just kind of going through the motions. He wants to know us deeply, intimately. See, God brought down the walls. He didn't hide down behind the fact that He was high and mighty. He didn't hide behind the fact that he had all power and created the universe. He chose to become vulnerable. He chose to become a baby. It's an amazing display of love that God was laid in a feeding trough. And because of that love, we can also take down the walls of our hearts. Because we, when we realize how much God loves us, we don't have anything to be afraid of. When we realize that God went to the cross for us, that God became vulnerable for us, why couldn't we allow him into our lives? And the thing is that when we have the relationship with God right, it makes all other relationships right. It changes how we interact with other people. No longer do we have to be so afraid of being vulnerable with other people because we are secure in who we are. We know that we're broken. We know that we're sinners. We know that we fall short. But we also know that we're loved by God and accepted by Him. And so we can be free to take risks. We can be free to love other people, even if it means bringing harm to ourselves. Mark Twain once wrote a novel. It was called The Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. The story tells of the adventures of an ordinary man, a Connecticut Yankee from the 19th century, and he was transported back into the court of King Arthur. And this Yankee convinces the king to walk through the, the city streets in peasant's garb. And most of the book is kind of a silly uh, re recounting of how he doesn't really know how to act as a commoner. And he's just really out of place because he's been used to the palace and the kingly way of doing things. But there's one chapter called The Smallpox Hut. And in The Smallpox Hut, it describes how the king and his companion come upon the little shack that this poor beggar lived in. This lady's husband had just died of smallpox, and the wife tries to warn them away. She says, For the fear of God who visits with misery and death, such as be harmless, tarry not here, but fly. This place is under his curse. Yet the king replied, Let me come in and help you. You are sick and in trouble. The woman went on to ask the king to go into the loft and check on their child. The Yankee observed it was a desperate place for him to be, and it might cost him, the king, his life. He said, But it was no use to argue with him. The king disappears up a ladder looking for the girl. There was a slight noise from the direction of the dim corner where the ladder was. 
It was the king descending. I could see that he was bearing something in one arm and assisting himself with the other. He came forward into the light. Upon his breast lay a slender girl of 15. She was but half conscious. She was dying of smallpox. Here was heroism at its, at its uh, last and loftiest possibility, its utmost summit. This was challenging death in the open field unarmed, with all the odds against the challenger. No reward set upon the contest, and no admiring world in silks and cloth of gold to gaze at and applaud. And yet the king's bearing was as serenely brave, brave as it had always been in those cheaper contests where night meets night in equal fight and clothed in protecting steel. He was great now, sublimely great. The rude statues of his ancestors in his palace should have been an, have an addition. I would see to that. It would not be a mailed king killing a giant or a dragon like the rest. It would be a king in commoner's garb bearing death in his arms. That's what Jesus did for us. He became vulnerable for us. He entered into our sickness, into our brokenness at great cost to himself because relationships require vulnerability. So I'd ask you today, what step is God calling you to make in your relationship with God? In just a second, I'm going to give you a few moments just in silence. It might be a little awkward just silently because we're not used to silence sometimes. But just for a couple moments... Ask yourself, what would God call you to do this Christmas season? Where would he call you to go in your relationship with God? Some of us here, maybe we've never entered into a relationship with God, and he's calling us to take that first step. If that's you, maybe pray something like this in your heart to God. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm broken. But I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And I believe that you can forgive me. And just invite him to come into your life and to have a relationship with you. Others of us, maybe we're believers, and maybe you just ask God, God, I want to know you more deeply this Christmas season. Say, God, I, I don't want my relationship with you to just be something where I just go through the motions. I want it to be real and living relationship. Others of us, maybe we need to ask God to be, have courage to be vulnerable with others to reach out in love to those around us, even if it brings harm to ourselves. So I don't know what your plans are this, this evening. Maybe you're going to parties or uh, finishing up some Christmas presents, but just for a couple moments, if you'd just bow your head, maybe close your eyes, spend a couple moments doing business, business with God, and then I'll close us in prayer. So take that right now.
God, we're in awe of the fact that you would come to the earth for us, that you, the creator, would enter into your created world, that you would become vulnerable, that you would allow yourself to become a helpless little baby, that you would grow up just like any child grows up, and that you would allow people to whip your back, put a crown of thorns on your head, mock you, pull out your beard, say the most terrible things about you. We're in awe, Lord, of the fact that you did that because you love us so much. That you'd rather die and pay the ultimate price than not have a relationship with us. Lord, I pray for those here who maybe never entered into a relationship with you. God, I pray that this Christmas would be the Christmas that they come to know you on a personal level. That they would realize that they can be vulnerable, that they can give you their lives because you've given them your life. Lord, for those of us who are believers, God, I pray that we wouldn't settle for just going through the motions and doing the whole church thing. But that we would seek you with all of our hearts. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for Christmas. In Jesus' name I pray.